Well, friends, 2024 is off and running, and so am I. And we are back in the saddle here at the Mark Harrington Show, looking forward to another year of broadcasting. And today we're going to be talking about what's going on in culture. We're going to deal with some comments uh, that have been uh, put forward by someone on MSNBC. We're going to try to answer the question, what would Jesus do if we were around today walking the earth and having to defend his uh, his words. So stick around. Thanks for being on the program. Well, it's good to be back. Uh, Mark Harrington here. You know, I, I, I took a sabbatical, if you will, uh, for the last two months. I don't know if you noticed, but we played some of the best of Mark Harrington show. And, uh, you know, a sabbatical for me isn't really a sabbatical, uh, even though after 30 years of ministry, I've really never taken off a large portion of time. This is the closest thing I've ever gotten to it, actually. I took several weeks off. Uh, you know, I worked here and there, but it was a nice break, especially after the defeat of issue one here in the state of Ohio. Good time to regroup, spend some time with family, got to go to Florida. You actually took a cruise for the first time, which was a blast. I recommend it highly for those of you who want to get away. It, it's really nice just to be out on the ocean. No internet, no, no nothing. I mean, you're kind of on your own. So I feel very refreshed and back and ready to fight the culture war. So we're going to be doing that here today on the program. And so to get started, basically what we're going to do, a couple reaction videos to a uh, broadcast on MSLSD. That's what uh, Mark Levin would call it. That's MSNBC, actually, uh, which I don't watch. I hope you don't either. It's trash. But, you know, a lot of people do watch it. And so, so there was this uh, individual. His name is John Fugelsang. Never heard of him before. Uh, apparently an actor, a comedian. I don't find it very funny. At least he wasn't on the show. Uh, and a political commentator, and he takes aim at Christianity and specifically the words of Jesus and twists them. And I think it's important for us as Christians to be able to deal with the way that he interprets the Bible, which is extremely problematic. And the ones on the set with him, of course, are noddingly, you know, just basically playing along with his BS. <laughs> so. Uh, we're going to go through a couple of these. There's probably five or six of them, and I'll do my best to reply. So go ahead and play this first clip. Again, this is John Fugelsang, a political commentator on MSNBC. Go ahead. I would love to leave behind right-wing fundamentalists and Christian nationalists right -wing. who use Jesus, who's Christian nationalists. as a prop while legislating and fighting against his actual teachings. There's a lot of right-wing brothers and sisters in this country right who identify as Christian, and they care about the manger and the crucifix, and they ignore the 30 years of teaching. 33. Well, actually, three years of teaching he did okay. in between. Yeah, three. Uh, Jesus is um, not an ally of the Republican Party. There is no overlap True. between Jesus and the policies of Donald Trump. In South Carolina, they tried to have a bill this year calling for the death penalty for abortion. We're so pro-life, we'll kill you. All right, well, there's a lot there, but what I want to really focus in on is the South Carolina bill that supposedly uh, criminalizes abortion and prosecutes women and, and, and creates the death penalty for abortion. 
Uh, yeah, it's a big subject. I know that uh, there's a lot of difference, you know, difference of opinion here across the board in the pro-life movement as to how we should criminalize abortion. I get it. Uh, but here, here's the bottom line. The Bible does, uh, he says it doesn't talk about abortion. He gets into that here. But it does address child sacrifice in the Old Testament. And if you look at uh, passages uh, that talk about Molech, and uh, bringing your children uh, through the fire, sacrificing them to Molech. That's basically what abortion is. Although we're not sacrificing our children to a pagan god, per se, like Molech, we are sacrificing our children to the, I guess, pagan belief of self. That is, that we matter most, and anybody that gets in our way, we have the right to kill them. Uh, so the Bible actually does deal with uh, abortion indirectly. Uh, of course, in, you know, in the Bible times, they didn't have the uh, ability to go in, surgically remove or kill a baby. So the word abortion doesn't appear in the Bible for obvious reasons. But it does deal with the issue of murder. Uh, if we look at the uh, Exodus chapter 20, verse 13, uh, one of the top 10, Ten Commandments, uh, you know, it says, thou shall not murder, or better said, that thou shall not shed innocent blood. So the Bible does address murder. And if we can prove that the preborn are human and that they are being killed, then abortion is murder. And uh, so the other thing is this. John Fugel sang, uh, you know, who who, who purports himself to be a, a child of a former Franciscan, uh, was brought up by a former nun, of course he was, right? a disgruntled believer or Catholic, uh, wants to come against his own religion here, at least the way he was brought up, uh, which is not surprising. But John Fugel saying, you know, has a beef against right-wing Christians. And so he's focusing supposedly on the words of Jesus themselves. Uh, here's the thing, you know, it's more than what Jesus said and what he taught on earth that we should focus on. Uh, there's an old saying that said, what what would Jesus do, right? What would Jesus do? And I think that's fair enough. We can, we can consider what would Jesus do in a particular situation. But the more important question is, what does the Bible say? Because Jesus is part of the, he's, he's the, he's part of the triune God. Uh, he's in the, throughout the Old Testament. Uh, he's part of the Trinity, uh, who, by the way, the Trinity, God, uh, wrote the Ten Commandments. Uh, that same God presided over the destruction of Sodom and Gomorrah. So uh, to, to just focus on the red letters of the Gospels uh, is, is in, in, incorrect. You can't do that. The bigger question is, what does the Bible say? Because Jesus is is part of the triune God. Uh, and for murder, God calls for the death penalty. He just does. If you look at Genesis chapter 9, verse 6, it says this, whoever sheds human blood, by man his blood shall be shed. For in the image of God, he made mankind. Uh, so the Bible does address abortion because abortion is murder. We, we, we can prove that the unborn are human. And those who shed blood, innocent blood in this case, uh, by man his blood shall be shed. And so 
Uh, the book of Genesis is, is basically focusing on this idea of, of capital punishment, that the civil government has the prerogative to shed blood in the, in the case of murder because those who, who, uh, who kill unborn or, or kill innocent human beings because God values humans, because we're made in the image of God, that uh, that that their their blood can be shed by civil government, not by pro-lifers. He says pro-lifers will kill you. No, we're we're not taking that upon ourselves. The role of civil government. We believe the civil government should, uh, at least according to the scriptures, uh, there should be capital punishment in the case of of murder. And so, all right, that, that's the first thing here. Uh, all right. Second uh, little bit here from John Fugel Sang, who is a political commentator on MSNBC, he talks about how the Bible never condemns abortion and Jesus never con- condemned abortion. Go ahead and go ahead and play that clip. That's where we're at right I now. That's Stephen Wright. Seeing, I would kill for a Nobel Peace Prize. Yeah. Seeing the Pope this week enrage these right-wing Christians so much because he right-wing Christians. Jesus in blessing gay unions. <laughs> yep. Jesus is not anti-immigrant. He commands people to welcome the stranger. He never mentions abortion. The Bible never... He doesn't ever mention abortion. That's true. Uh, Jesus doesn't mention a lot of things in the three and a half years that we know of, at least, uh, that was uh, written down uh, You know, in the Gospels. He doesn't dress everything. Uh, Jesus was never married, by the way. Uh, he never had children. Uh, so does that disqualify him from speaking to those issues? No. Uh, just because he didn't experience them or he didn't talk about some contemporary issue that was happening during his day uh, doesn't mean that we can just throw out the rest of Scripture. Like I said, it's not just about the red letters that matter. It's the entire Bible. What does the Bible say? That's what we should be asking ourselves. And when he says that uh, Jesus never condemned abortion, well, you know, because the Bible doesn't mention it doesn't mean that he didn't condemn murder. Right. So, for an example, in the scripture, it says in Leviticus chapter 20, verses two through five, and he's talking here about children being uh, this is uh, Moses writing. Uh, he's talking about uh, how in, in the Old Testament, how people would sacrifice their children to Molech. And it says in verse two, you shall also say to the sons of Israel, anyone from the sons of Israel or from the strangers residing in Israel who gives any of his children to Molech. There it is. The child sacrifice to the pagan God shall certainly be put to death. This is the death penalty for taking your children to Molech and having them killed in child sacrifice. The people of the land shall stone him with stones death penalty. I will also set my face against that man and will cut him off from among his people because he has given some of his children to Molech so as to defile my sanctuary and profane my holy name. And he goes on from there. But the bottom line is this, uh, that child sacrifice was dealt with in the Old Testament by uh, the death penalty, by stoning. So, you can say, well, maybe that doesn't apply in uh, the uh, New Covenant. Okay, we could have that debate. But the Bible clearly does prescribe the death penalty for those who kill children. In this case, child sacrifice, giving your children to Molech. Um, 
So, you know, it, it comes to this notion that we can just take the words of Jesus and separate them from the rest of the Bible. Uh, a lot of people believe that the Old Testament doesn't apply, that the Old Testament law doesn't apply anymore to Christians. Uh, it's kind of like, you know, in the Old Testament, God was having a bad hair day. He was angry. He was vengeful, right? He was angry all the time. And then came the New Testament and the Gospels, and God got saved somehow and through Jesus. And now we have Jesus, who's the meek and mild. Uh, but, Jesus, but, but God in the Old Testament was angry. Uh, that's the view that a lot of people have. And, of course, this guy's a, you know, he's, a, he's a, an apostate, uh, but he, he's trying to pick and choose uh, Scripture, in this case the words of Christ, supposedly, and saying that God does not, or that Jesus does not condemn abortion, where throughout Scripture, if you murder, uh, there is the penalty, uh, the death penalty. And so uh, he's wrong. He's wrong again. And I just think as Christians, of course, these people are just noddingly approving of this guy's uh, interpretation of Scripture. Uh, we need to be Bereans being able to discern accurately the word of God. All right. Next clip. Uh, he goes into this. John Fugel sang again, talks about how Jesus never mentioned gay people. Go ahead. The Bible never condemns abortion. We've had two generations of Christians in this country who have been groomed to believe criminalizing abortion is something to do with what Jesus talked about. Christ was a peaceful, yes. nonviolent revolutionary, never <laughs> mentioned gay people. He commanded you to pay your taxes, to welcome the stranger. All right, stop there. So he never condemned gay people. He never mentioned abortion and he never directly uh, condemned gay people. This is true. OK, I, I agree. But again. What does the Bible say about homosexuality? Uh, well, and, and also, what does he say about the death penalty? Uh, so let, let's first go to Matthew chapter 19, verses 3 through 6, to talk about how he's saying that, God, that Jesus never condemned gay people or never mentioned them, never talked about the death penalty. Therefore, he's anti-death penalty. A lot of people focus on this passage. This is the uh, interaction uh, with the adulterous woman, I believe it is. Um, no, no, this is just talking about uh, marriage. Okay, so Matthew 19, verses 3 through 6. Uh, this is Jesus dealing um, with this question. He says, some Pharisees came to Jesus testing him and asking, is it lawful? Think of the context here. They came to trip him up. Asking, is it lawful for a man to divorce his wife for any reason at all? And he answered and said, have you not read that he who created them from the beginning made them male and female? Ah, male and female. Jesus is talking about males and females. Wow. Okay. Interesting. In today's context, hmm. That's that is politically incorrect. No question about it. And said, for this reason, a man shall leave his father. Oh, father and mother. Oh, not birthing person. <laughs> and join will be joined with his wife. Ooh, I don't know. He is misgendering people. This is bigotry. And the uh, two shall become one flesh. So they no longer are two, but one flesh. Therefore, what God has joined together, no person uh, no person is to separate. So, 
or uh, John Fugelsang says that uh, Jesus never mentioned uh, gay people. True. But he talked about marriage. He talked about male and female separately coming together. Right. And the two shall become one flesh, one flesh. So that's number one. Number two, if you go to uh, 1 Corinthians 6, verses 9 through 11, and this gets back to that issue of we need to look at the entirety of Scripture, not just the red letters of Jesus. It's not just what would Jesus do, although that's important to look at, right? We need to look at the entire breadth of Scripture because Jesus is throughout of all as the triune God, as part of the triune God and the Trinity. We look at the, and this is in the New Testament, the Apostle Paul, who uh, deals with this question in 1 Corinthians 6, verses 9 through 11. And it says, uh, and do you not know that the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God? Do not be deceived, neither, deceived, neither the sexually immoral, ooh, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor homosexuals. Uh-oh. There are those words in the New Testament, the Apostle Paul. This is an Old Testament. This isn't just what Jesus said. This is what the Bible says. Nor thieves, nor the greedy, nor the habitually drunk, nor verbal abusers, nor swindlers will inherit the kingdom of God. That pretty much co covers everyone almost. But he does single out this issue of homosexuality here. Such were some of you, but you were washed, but you were sanctified but you were justifying the name of the Lord Jesus Christ in the spirit of God. And so what we can take from this passage is that this is that uh, Paul, the apostle, is talking about how homosexuals will not inherit the, inherit the kingdom of God unless what? They repent, because in verse 11 it says, some were such, some of you, but you were washed. In other words, they repented for them their sin of homosexuality, and therefore they have been washed by the blood of Jesus Christ and were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. See, so the Bible does address homosexuality. It does condemn it. Uh, the, 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 the issue of whether Jesus mentioned it directly is immaterial. What does the Bible say about it? And so it's important that we... We look at the full breadth of Scripture when we're dealing with these questions. All right, next one. Again, John Fugel saying on MSNBC, uh, Twisting Scripture. Go ahead. He commanded you to pay your taxes, to welcome the stranger. Individuals and nations must care for the poor and sick in Matthew 25. He who lives by the sword must die by the sword, Luke 22. Let's focus in on uh, what Jesus said. He who lives by the sword will die by the sword. Of course, we find that in Matthew 26, verses 51 through 54. Let's read it together. And behold, one of those who, who were with Jesus reached and drew, this is one of his disciples likely, uh, reached and drew his sword and struck the slave of the high priest and cut off his ear. And Jesus said to him, put your sword back into its place. By the way, they had swords. <laughs> Why did they have swords? To defend themselves. Jesus was not a pacifist, friends. He believed in self-defense. For all those who take up the sword will perish by the sword. Or do you think that I cannot appeal to my father 
and he will at once put at my disposal more than 12 legions of angels? How then would the scriptures be fulfilled, which say that it must happen this way? Now consider the context. Jesus is about to get arrested. One of his followers, possibly one of the disciples, lops off the ear of the high priest. And Jesus says, he who lives by the sword dies by the sword. In other words, he goes, he's saying, we are not going to bring the kingdom uh, to pass, bring the kingdom of God through violence. And you're standing in the way of what is ordained. Because he says at the end, how uh, that it, that it must happen this way. How then would the scriptures be fulfilled that it must happen this way? In other words, Jesus is saying, this is all, uh, it has to happen this way, and you're getting in the way. You're trying to bring about it through violence. He's not condemning the use of force here at all. Uh, he's not a pacifist because the, uh, the disciples carried swords. Uh, you know, and they carried swords. Why? Because they, uh, Jesus believed that they needed to defend themselves in certain cases. So uh, anyway, again, we're taking the words of Christ and we are uh, extrapolating them well beyond what the scripture teaches as a whole. All right. Last clip. Uh, John Fugel sang on MSNBC. Go ahead. There's a reason why these right-wingers never try to put right -wingers. a sermon on the mount on walls in classrooms. Well, first of all, the Bible can't be put in the classroom. But, yeah. There you go. Here he is again. Oh, there we go. A lot of men wrote the book, <laughs> you know, like clapping seals. They're they're cheering this guy on, completely undiscerning about what the scripture actually says. Again, G he's saying that uh, Jesus opposed the death penalty. We know that's not true. If you would go up, did, did you, do you have the passage in John chapter eight? Let's read that. I, I assume that he's he's going and using this. Uh, again, this interchange with the adulterous woman to say that that Jesus was opposed to the death penalty. This is just an interaction with the adulterous woman. Let's read it uh, in, in chapter eight, verse one. But Jesus went to the Mount of Olives and early in the morning he came again to the temple area and all the people were coming to him and he sat down and began teaching to them or teaching them. Now, the scribes and the Pharisees, there they are, wanting to trip him up, brought a woman caught in the act of adultery. And after placing her in the center of the courtyard, they said they're setting Christ up here. Uh, said to him, teacher, this, is, this woman has been caught in the very act of committing adultery. Now, in the law of Moses, in the law, Moses commanded us to stone such a woman. What then do you say? Now they were saying this to test him so that they might have grounds for accusing him. But Jesus stooped down and with his finger wrote on the ground. And when they persisted in asking him, he straightened up and said to them, he who is without sin among you, let him be the first to cast the, fir uh, to, the first to throw a stone at her. And again, he stooped down and wrote on the ground. And now when they heard this, they began leaving. Huh, interesting. 
one by one, beginning with the older ones. And he was left alone with the woman where she was in the center of the courtyard. And straightening up, Jesus said to her, woman, where are they? Did no one condemn you? And she said, no one, Lord. And Jesus said, I do not condemn you either. Go from now on and do not sin any longer. So to take this passage as Jesus condemning the death penalty is a terrible application of scripture. Obviously, Jesus is God, right? And he is showing specific uh, act of mercy to this woman, right? And he's exposing the hypocrisy of the Pharisees, many of them who probably had slept with this woman themselves. So you can't take this story and say, well, Jesus was against the death penalty. Uh, Again, within the entirety of Scripture, we know that the death penalty is throughout. In fact, even in the New Testament, in Romans 13, when it talks about the sword of the civil government, uh, it executes justice. The Apostle Paul's talking about the death penalty there. Uh, And the important phrase, too, at the end is he tells her to go and sin no more. So what she was involved in was sin, adultery. He just, at that point, showed mercy to her. He was not condemning the death penalty. All right, so that's that's really all we have on John Fugel saying. I probably took more time than I needed to with this guy. But these are very common arguments. We hear these on college campuses sometimes. You may hear them in the public square just debating or discussing Christianity with people here and there. And I hope maybe I brought a little bit of clarity to this because we often hear this, uh, especially when we were dealing with the issues of abortion and homosexuality. All right, friends, we are in the heat of the 2024 presidential campaign, and uh, the candidates are lining up to debate each other in Iowa because the Iowa caucuses are on our doorstep here in the next several days. And so the candidates, the Republican candidates for president are out on the stump in Iowa making their case as to why they should be president of the United States. So I wanted to take a moment and deal with a couple comments that were uh, put forward by a few of these candidates. The first one is uh, Nikki Haley. Uh, I'm not a fan of Nikki Haley, just up front. I think she's a a rhino. That is a Republican in name only. Uh, She is uh, running second currently to Donald Trump, probably only because she offers the rhino alternative, the mainstream alternative to uh, President Trump and Ron DeSantis. But that said, she's asked about this uh, situation or this case in Texas uh, by uh, with the woman by the name of Kate Cox who became pregnant, and uh, there was fetal uh, abnormality with her child, and supposedly, and again, I don't know the story in depth, but she says that she could not have an abortion in Texas because abortion is illegal, so she was going to be forced to go over the border of, uh, of, of Texas to have an abortion, and that's what apparently she did. Uh, the Supreme Court of, uh, uh, of, of Texas refused to... Um, allow for the abortion. Uh, and so that's what happened as a national story. And so Nikki Haley is asked about it. Go ahead and play that clip. Supreme Court ruled earlier today that Kate Cox, who wants an abortion, cannot get one. She's 21 weeks pregnant. The reason why she was seeking one is because her fetus has a fatal condition. Considering what you talked about on the trail about abortion being a personal decision, you support the Texas 
support not allowing Peacock to make that personal So first of all, I, you know I'm pro-life. I welcome the states that have become pro-life. But this is exactly why I've said you have to show compassion and humanize the situation. We don't want any women to sit there and deal with a rare situation and have to deliver a baby in that sort of circumstance any more than we want women getting an abortion at 37, 38, 39 weeks. We have to humanize the situation and deal with it with compassion. I think that Texas is going to go back and have their health medical board look at this and say, how should we deal with this? I think every state's going to do that. But at the end of the day, this is about how do we save as many babies as possible and support as many moms as possible. Well, there you go. I mean, it's not a bad answer to the question. What I want to focus in on her use of the word humanize. She says, we need to humanize the situation. Uh, how about we humanize the situation by talking about the humans who are being killed by abortion? What she means when she says, I want to humanize the situation is she wants to humanize the woman now or the mother. Well, we know the mothers are human. Uh, we understand this tragic story in Texas. It's, it's awful. But the answer is not an abortion. At 21 weeks, if there's a, a, a tragic situation medically uh, where the baby's likely going to die, the answer is not dismembering the child. The, answering is, the answer is deliver the child uh, at the appropriate time when it does not threaten the life of the mother, which it will not. If you deliver the child by cesarean section, the woman will not, her life will not be in, 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 at risk. And allowing the normal uh, uh, process to which this child may live or die with the proper prenatal or, 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 or natal care uh, to take place, not to dismember the baby. Uh, but I find it interesting that she uses, we need to humanize the situation. Well, you know how we humanize the situation? Let's talk about the humans who are being killed and show them to the American people. All right, here's the next clip. This is Ron DeSantis, who attacks President Trump on his pro-life record. Go ahead and play that clip. Do you think Donald Trump is not pro-life? Of course not. I mean, when, when you're saying that pro-life protections are a terrible thing, by definition, you are not pro-life. When you say Wrong. that you want to have a federal law uh, at 18 weeks or 20 weeks that would override a state like Iowa, that has enacted pro-life protections, that would mean that. more abortions, not less abortions, because very few abortions are happening that late anyways. So he has flip-flopped on this issue. I don't know if it's mm. because of political convenience or this is all where he always believed in, uh, but here's the thing. Some issues are pretty fundamental. How do you flip-flop on something like the sanctity of life? Yeah. Well, you know, I like Ron DeSantis. I think Ron DeSantis will make a good president. Uh, and I will support the nominee of the Republican Party for president, irrespective of who it is. But he's wrong about President Trump when he says President Trump isn't pro-life. In the understanding of what pro-life is, which is we want abortion to be outlawed, uh, President Trump is pro-life. Uh, now, President Trump believes in so-called exceptions. A lot of us, including me, don't. But he keep in mind, this is the guy that put three justices on the U.S. Supreme Court that reversed and overturned Roe versus Wade. 
Uh, Ron, that's pro-life. Now, he may disagree with you when it comes to the heartbeat law. He said, and, and this is the thing. So President Trump is pro-life in the understanding of what we believe pro-life to be. Now, we can argue what that means within the pro-life movement, but he has been pro-life throughout his uh, political career. Number one, he says that President Trump says it would be a terrible thing to put restrictions on abortion. Uh, President Trump has not said that generally. He has said he thinks the the prohibition on uh, or the heartbeat laws are a terrible thing. I don't agree with him, of course. He thinks it's too far to go politically. That's all he's saying when he says the heartbeat laws are a terrible thing. He just thinks politically they're a terrible thing. In other words, they will prevent uh, pro-life Republicans from getting elected. Now, you can disagree with him on that. I do. And I think most pro-life activists do as well. But that's just a political calculation. And then the final thing is that he, he opposes, I believe, federal laws uh, limiting abortion. And he says that these laws would, would uh, outlaw restrictions in conservative states. Uh, that's not true, number one. Uh, I, you know, there are efforts within the federal government, the Republicans in Congress, to try to pass a 15-week ban on abortion. I think it's a waste of time. You're going to save very little uh, unborn children that way. But the notion that they have, this is this is why they they think they're doing they they want to do this, is a 15 week ban on abortion will be a ceiling, a national ceiling, not a basement, not not the lower level, and would at least restrict abortion in these blue states like California, New York, and Illinois that have absolutely no limits on abortion. So it's a ceiling, a federal ceiling, a national ceiling. But that would not prohibit states like Iowa or any of these others from banning abortion at conception if they wish, uh, because that doesn't it, it doesn't prohibit them from doing that. So he's wrong on that. Uh, it would not supersede. That is, any federal action on abortion would not supersede state restrictions on abortion. It's all it is, is a a ceiling, a national ceiling. That's I'm, I'm not a big on these. I think it would be a, a waste of effort because it really saves few lives and likely won't even make it through the Congress. But for the states like New York and California, where abortion is legal up to birth, it may actually save some lives. So that's what he's talking about there. I think Ron DeSantis was wrong on President Trump. Uh, President Trump is has been consistent throughout his political career. You may not agree with him when it comes to the exceptions, but he is a political animal, friends, and he wants to get elected. That's what he's doing. He's making a calculation. And, yeah, we, we can disagree with him on that, but that's who he is. Uh, and Ron DeSantis should know that. All right. So that's my take on the political candidates. I know there's going to be a debate coming up here soon in Iowa. I'll be responding to some of that as well in future broadcasts. And uh, friends, it's good to be back uh, in 2024. We are locked and loaded and ready to go out into the culture and make a difference for Jesus Christ and sharing the truth about abortion in the public square. We'll see you next time. God bless you. God bless America. And remember, America, to bless God.
You've been listening to Mark Harrington, your radio activist. For more information on how to make a difference for the cause of life, liberty, and justice, go to createdequal.org. To follow Mark, go to markharringtonshow.com. Be sure to tune in next time for your marching orders in the culture war.